0: And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast 103 Seth the Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in. However, you're doing so, be it through all the litany of ways you can listen into the podcast, have a podcast, Google Podcast, one of the many highlights of it. And let's get down to brass tacks here. There's a lot of stuff to break down over the last couple of days. So let's get into the three count. Let's start things off with the WWE Network. It is officially moving to Peacock. There was a lot of talk for a while about it potentially moving over to ESPN. but Lo and behold, the news dropped earlier today, and the WWE Network will be no more, at least in the United States. It'll still exist on the international waters, like the UK, Australia, all that stuff. It'll still exist in that realm, but the network will no longer be here stateside Starting in March, it'll migrate over to the Peacock Network, which, in case you didn't know, is where a bunch of NBC stuff. That's where the office is. If you've been looking for it since, some uh, you know, the Netflix decided to drop it at the end of the year, end of last year. So that's over at the Peacock Network now, which is a streaming service that has three separate tiers. One of them is a the free tier. We can watch like a handful of different episodes. I think they have like the first two seasons of the office up for free. So you like can watch it through there. They have a bunch of other stuff that's behind a premium paywall. Like English Premier League, which I've been dealing with for a while, just been absolutely frustrated with the fact that you know that's been a thing. But that's $4.99 a month with ads. Without ads, it's $9.99. So basically, if you want ad free, you are going to go towards the $999 a month package. You're going to want to have it that way. You're basically going to be paying essentially the same thing. If you don't mind ads on non-live content, like WrestleMania, you'll get ads regardless. But if you want the bare minimum and you don't mind ads, not too intrusive in your mind, 4 dollars is the way to go if you want the WWE Network in its Peacock form. For those wondering, Peacock is not doing the UFC ESPN Plus deal where you pay for each pay-per-view, at least for now. It looks to be like this is set up the exact same way across the board. 4 dollars a month, bottom line, don't pay any more, don't pay any less, which is fantastic because I cannot stand especially after this past weekend. I'll talk about UFC 257 a little bit, but man, the UFC ESPN Plus deal where you have to pay a pay per view for each one and pay $67 when you're already paying for the product in the first place, I don't quite understand why they do that every single time. I would get it if it was like fight week you did that, but if you're already paying for ESPN Plus, you should just get that there. Now, I'm sure that's just in the contract negotiations that the UFC has with ESPN Plus. But I think they stick it this way, more people are going to go to the Peacock Network. Because after, what has it been? Almost seven years since the WWE Network launched, which holy crap is a mind blow in and of itself. That started in like 2014, April of 2014. The WWE Network launched then. And basically, for the most part, everybody's paid $9.99 a month for the better part of six, seven years. So why would you go back to the old pay-per-view route? Whatever you could just have it be the flat 4.99 rate or 9.99 a month to get it ad free. I mean, presumably you'd have it be 9.99 a month to get all the pay-per-views, including WrestleMania, just so they can wind up saying, Hey, let's just go ahead and have it 9.99 a month. Like it was for all these other people that are already in the deal. And I think a lot of them will be migrating over automatically. I think there should be an email coming out soon for a lot of the subscribers currently, but we'll see. But again, it'll start in March. It'll start with the Fastlane pay-per-view in March. It'll move over to the Peacock Network. The folks outside the U.S. will not see a change. The WWE Network will remain. And the deal is reportedly worth $1 billion. Add that to the $2 billion they have in deals with Fox and NBC Universal for SmackDown, Raw, and NXT. We'll talk about NXT in a minute, but WWE is making major bank right now. But my hope is, and I've actually checked out the Peacock Network. I've checked out their app for the Android because I have an Android phone. I've checked out on the website. It's a little weird. It's a little wonky. It takes a little while to kind of understand how it all works. It's a little bit of a clunky UI. And I hope that eventually does change because trust me, if you want to get to the WWE Network, it's going to be an absolute pain to get to using this format. I loved the way that the network is now and the way it's set up. It's all very simple and effective, especially if you want to go back into watching some of the old archive footage because apparently the entire network is going to be on there. We'll see because I can about imagine some of the negotiations of this were saying, hey, you know, this guy, Crispin Benoit, something like Jimmy Snook. I, you can about imagine there's a chance where they're like, you know, we're not going to put that content on our network, but I'm sure – at the end of the day, it's either you have all the whole potato or none of it. Or the, all, the whole tomato or none of it. It's the old tomato. If you know community, you know what I'm talking about. But that's where we're at right now. The WWE, the WWE Network is moving over to Peacock starting in March. And I mentioned NXT for a reason. And this has a little bit to do with the WWE. We're talking about NBC. Their sports network, NBCSN, is officially shutting down at the end of the year. This has a little bit to do with the WWE because of what can be go- happen going forward with NXT on Wednesday nights. The sports network is reportedly being shut down at the end of the year, and they'll shift over a lot of their sporting events to the USA Network. And right now you got NASCAR, you got Premier League, you've got other stuff like that. But the one that matters most when it comes to the conversation, and it's not the dog show, we're talking about the NHL and their marquee program in Wednesday night hockey. The big question is it's all about if NBC still has the rights for the NHL. I know we're going a little bit more inside baseball in terms of TV deals and stuff like that, but it's important when it comes to the status and future of NXT on Wednesday nights. Could they move this going forward? But it's all about if this deal continues because reportedly the deal runs out in July and the league has made it clear they want to split their time between two networks, presumably NBC and ESPN. They want to be able to split that deal because at the end of the day, it feels like it's going to be an uphill climb to get a deal with Fox Sports going because then uh, you've got to be trying to figure out which way you're going to go and which platform is best for you. I think ESPN should be a great idea for them. Fox could work out amazingly and they'd have great year-round content if we're talking about the NHL and the fact that maybe they could bring back the, the glowing puck thing from back in the 90s. I'd be all for that. That's the million-dollar question, but I feel like it's going to be ESPN and NBC are going to split the rights when it comes down to it. And I think it could come back to bite them down the road when it comes to the state of NBCSN and moving over to Peacock and figuring out what you're going to do with NXT. Could they move that over? I don't know yet, but it would be interesting to see if the split between the two networks remains in favor of the USA Network having Wednesday Night Hockey and you move NXT to Tuesday or Thursday nights just to be able to keep this deal going, or do you move it entirely over to Peacock? Then we get to the final bit of news. AEW Revolution going to be moving to March 7th, according to reports. It was originally scheduled for February 27th, but according to Uncle Dave, Dave Meltzer of Wrestling Observer, he says that this is going to be moved to March 7th, making it the first ever event to take place on a Sunday for AEW. And the move was reportedly made in order to avoid going head-to-head with a boxing pay-per-view headlined by Canelo Alvarez on February 27th, as well as a fight on March 6th between UFC middleweight Israel Anasanya and Jan Blakowicz, Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that right, UFC 259's main event. Makes sense if this is true because you're trying to maximize your potential audience because at the end of the day, what the... What AEW is doing is trying to make sure they can get as many people as possible on the product because of the fact there is an overlap with boxing, maybe a lesser to a lesser extent, but especially with the UFC. If you're going up against a UFC show, you are absolutely screwed. It's going to be absolutely impossible to really build towards that point. So it's the right move when it comes right down to it for AEW leading into one of their big pay-per-views of the year, especially since you've already hyped it up enough. With Sting in his first match in almost six years, taking on Team Taz alongside Darby Allen. Now let's get into UFC 257 Poirier McGregor Part 2. And I have to say, it was a really good card from top to bottom. There were some really good undercard matchups. Khalil Roundtree versus Marcin Procneo winds up standing out to me, maybe yeah, because of the dubious decision there. Roundtree rung Procneo's bell late in the second round. Felt like Khalil had more strikes landed especially in the first, really secure the victory. Saga so fight in the prelims, though. Juliana Pena wound up coming away with a big win late with the rear naked choke over Sarah McMahon, who, by the way, had never seen Sarah McMahon before, but she was absolutely yoked. Like, her arms were massive. Then after the fight, Pena called out Amanda Nunes for a fight down the road. I would honestly love to see that. The Nunez kind of just shot that thing down right away, saying on Twitter, quote, ducking, you couldn't even make yourself a contender for me. Nunez already landing knockdowns before the fight even starts. You'd love to see that. Then you get to see another really good fight between Brad Tavares and Antonio Carlos Jr. Tavares won it by unanimous decision. They had a couple interesting spots in the match where in the fight, I should say, each guy got hit in the dingling in the nuts. A couple times in the first two rounds. Inverted. but boy, this happened later on in the fight. I just wince every single time I see that. Because I've experienced getting kicked there before, and it ain't good. It is not good at all. And Then we get to the prelim's main event. Arman Sarukin. I'm probably mispronouncing that horribly, but he's taking on Matt Favola. And Arman wound up getting the win Really solid fight before the main card wrapped up. You got the win by unanimous decision. By this point, the the card just like slogged. You're just like, come on, I want to get to the main event. I want to get to the main card where it matters. And thankfully, the main card was so much more fun because you had more like energy and just absolute power the rest of the way. Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Rivas started off the match, and Rivas had the edge heading into the fight for me. Rodriguez showed. She's really someone to watch in 2021. Knocking out Rivas not once but twice in the second round. Herb Dean was looking; like was going to call the fight, but Rodriguez got up a little bit early, but was able to secure a TKO victory a few seconds later. But it felt like Herb Dean was about to, and you know, your girl Marina, she was a little bit too early on the celebration. Maybe it was a lapse of judgment on her part. Herb Dean should have just said, "All right, fight's over. You know, you won. Move on." Like it just felt like a really weird finish for a fight. It's a lot like how you see in like pro wrestling, especially independent wrestling, with referees go for the three count, but they forget the finish or something. Like it felt like something like that—a like momentary lapse of judgment—that just put a little murkiness in a really good fight. Then we get to Andrew Sanchez versus Mahmoud Moradoy. And I say if this fight went, well, I'm going to decision, because it was very late in the third round, Mahmoud would have won. But the finish for the fight, really, really good. Murdoff landed a huge overhand right in the third round, followed it up with a flying knee, secured the standing TKO, and he wins. I can't wait to see what Mahmoud does. He's going to be a star. To, he's one of the guys I was like, I had not seen much of before. And I am just absolutely saying, you know, this is a standing TKO Really good win for him. Looking forward to see what he's going to do in 2021. Then we get to Joanne Calderwood taking on Jessica I. Not much to write home about here. Really didn't have a whole lot of notes written down for this, but Joanne got the surprise win by decision. I had been moving up in my mind as a future star, but the loss has slowed down her momentum significantly. Then we get to the semi-main event, Michael Chandler versus Dan Hooker, and I'm still shocked a couple days later with how it ended Michael Chandler knocking out Dan Hooker early in the first round of the match. And it was amazing to see the former Bella Tour star make a statement in his UFC debut that he's an immediate contender. Chandler all set my favorite moment of the night with the flip off the top of the cage. landed on his feet briefly. Looked almost like a moonsault. It was so damn clean. And if he didn't nail it, it would have been rough, but just absolutely a cool moment and badass on him for being able to pull it off. Then we get to the main event, Dustin Poirier, Connor McGregor squaring off. In my mind, I had Connor winning the first round. According to my scorecard, Poirier had an early takedown. It was good, but there were a lot more significant strikes by Connor in the first round to where I gave it to him to nine. Then Poirier really shocked the world in the second round. Some well-placed kicks, especially to the leg. He kept attacking that leg for a good bit of the fight. It really showed how technical he was focused in on. And he wound up getting the TKO victory with a flurry of shots early in the second round. Definitely some good stuff from him. But now it's all about what's next for Poirier. Because I think that's what everybody here in the Acadiana area is wondering. Seen the Lafayette boy be able to avenge a loss he had back in 2014. And the big question is what's next for him? Because he's in line for a title fight. If Habib Nurmagomedov wants to come out of retirement, that would be his next fight. But who knows if he's going to? That's the real question. Damn near everybody's wondering. But I think there's a chance where Khabib is officially going to retire and you're going to see Dana White have to strip from the title. Honestly, I'd say four-man tournament. And here's how I'd put it together. Four-man tournament for the vacant title. And right now, I'd say your rankings, I know Conor McGregor currently is still ranked fourth in the lightweight division, but that is definitely going to go down after the loss to McGregor. So for me, it's Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, Charles Rivera, And Tony Ferguson, who's currently fifth, but I think he moves up to four. You see McGregor move down in those rankings significantly. But those would be your combatants in this tournament. I'd say it happens late 2021 or early 2022. Now, let's do something a little bit different because I feel like going way back in the day with a little retro review here. And I think this is absolutely a perfect one to go back to. And I've I've said this before in my mind. I just said, screw it. Let's go ahead and do it. Because I want to look back at a lot of Monday Night Raws from the Cajun Dome and looking at them relatively close to when they actually happen. And this is one that I wasn't at and kind of forgot about. And I wound up just rediscovering this show because of WWE's playlists where they have like a little video feature and they show like different obscure Royal Rumble matches. I forgot they had one at the Cajun Dome back on January twenty second, two thousand seven, which is about sixteen years ago. Wow. Sixteen years ago, that show happened. Oh wait, would that be sixteen years ago? No, 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 no. That'd be fourteen years ago. Sorry, I'm adding on to me dates. My I was told there'd be no math. But yeah, 2007 plus 21 is about four minus 2021 minus 2007 is 14. There we go. My brain is stupid sometimes. So I wanted to look back at this show for a lot of different reasons and kind of see how much I remembered about what was going on at the time because. Again, I didn't go to the show because I was working in retail at the time. And I was just, uh, you know, working at my first job in Scott. And I was like, you know, wasn't necessarily being able to watch a whole lot of pro wrestling at the time. Especially on Monday nights. Because I usually would work Mondays. Now, once I got into community college, that wound up changing. I was able to watch a lot more. Because usually I would have classes on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Back when I was at community college. But seeing how the cards were, I was like, man, this 2007 show was absolutely nuts. So I looked back at it, and I was like, "Okay, this is a really cool show." And it opened up with a tribute to Bam Bam Bigelow, a quick little graphic, who passed away on the nineteenth of two thousand and seven. Can't believe it's that long ago that he passed away. Wow. But then we get a video recap of what happened the week before with Ric Flair getting destroyed by a Rated RKO, and that leads to a brutal tag team main event that night. And HBK at one point was absolutely gushing. And Michaels is the concerto to Orton, and that ends the show. And JR keeps saying that, you know, DX isn't dead, all this stuff. Absolutely amazing. And then it comes out, instead of like usually when you see a Raw show, and I completely forgot this happened, where it just straight up went to cold open. No paparazzi, straight to business. Shawn Michaels comes out to a packed house inside the Cajun Dome, first TV taping since like Labor Day 2003. And why did I say Labor Day 2003? Because I was there. And that crowd got a little too rowdy at the end of the show. And they didn't come back until then. In terms of TV, they came back and had a SmackDown house show in 06 that was originally scheduled for 2005. This actually had Dr. Death Steve Williams involved in it, which I remember that being a heavily advertised thing locally. But it was scheduled for late 2005, but Hurricane Katrina wound up wiping that out because the cage was still being used at the time for some of the evacuees in the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Which again, that's a mind blow in and of itself to kind of think back about the fact that was 16 years ago. My God, I'm getting old. Shawn Michaels opens up cuts of promo making. His intentions know that he'll be entering the Royal Rumble and is looking to fulfill his destiny and win the title at WrestleMania once again. Edge comes out and they, two starts trading barbs, and all it took was HB, Hbk calling him a coward for Edge to snap, and they just start brawling like crazy. They cut to break, it. Edge and Michaels went to the back, and they just start brawling until the fights eventually broken up. They just were absolutely tearing everything up, and you love that kind of stuff because again, it's Crash TV, but you gotta love it. Then we open up with Jeff Hardy taking on Joey Mercury. This is a SmackDown versus Raw featured contest. Which was weird because I was like, did they just straight up give up on SmackDown versus Raw in terms of actually having the brands split up and never really encountering each other outside of Survivor Series, WrestleMania, and the Royal Rumble? Yeah, they kind of gave up on on it at this point in time. At least it felt like. I think they kind of drifted away from that again after the 2007 WWE draft. But... It's a really quick match. Jeff Hardy went up flying over the top rope, immediately knocking out both members of an m M&M before the match even started. And Mercury gets the early edge, throws Jeff out of the ring. And immediately after that, Johnny Nitro uncovers a padding like they did to Matt Hardy the week before on SmackDown. And it was so crazy. And then the referee threw them both out of ringside. After that, then Hardy eventually just got the quick win over Mercury with a twist of fate, and that was it. The Intercontinental Champion runs off, and they build up to the final encounter between the two leading up to the Royal Rumble, which was going to be that Sunday, which was mind blow number one for me. This was a go-home show for Raw heading into the Rumble 2007, which was one, if I'm not mistaken, by The Undertaker. It's an underrated Royal Rumble match. We're going to do a bonus podcast, and I'm going to go ahead and kind of look at my favorite Rumble matches of all time, and I think that one will wind up on the list. Then Vince McMahon comes out and it was weird to see this. I, I mean, the, after the match between Hardy and Mercury, they go to Vince's office and Coach runs in and threatens to throw Michaels and Edge out of the cage dome. But McMahon says, "No, we'll put him in a we'll put him in a street fight match, pal. Now I need to go outside of the ring." And then Vince comes out and it's weird that this was still during the time when there was no GM for Monday Night Raw. Because Bischoff had been fired like a year prior. Actually, it was late 2005 after the Survivor Series, after the Cena-Angle match. You know, Eric Bischoff was fired. And it was basically a McMahon show for like two years. It was weird. And he has a letter for Donald Trump. And then I was like, this is mind blow number two here. The whole Donald Trump-Vince McMahon feud started around this point. In January. The pay-per-view, the wasn't until April. Like, that's how far this thing went back. I was like, really? That's nuts. Now, I mean, obviously, when you go look back at the Bret Hart and Vince feud, that wound up starting at January four, the first Raw of the new year. But it's crazy because now it's usually fly by the seat of your pants. But the show actually wound up working really well, and the bill toward this was really good. And the payoff was even better because Vince got his head shaved by future president of the United States, or is a now former POTUS. In Donald Trump's Again, reading this statement back in 2021 and seeing this in 2007 is an absolute mind blow, but not quite mind blow number three. Mind blow number three is coming up in a minute. Vince says he should be a special guest on The Apprentice, and the ratings would skyrocket because he's the number one reason why USA Network is the top in the cable network. I can definitely say psych and monk at the time. Definitely probably, probably helped matters when it comes down to it. And it is essentially Vince just putting himself over, bloviating. And after VKM is done, John Cena's music comes out, and the crowd goes absolutely nuts. And this is why I am just kind of checked out of wrestling for now. I want to see a live, not virtual crowd, and see that kind of stuff go down because I miss crowds, and this is a big reason why. Then we get to John Cena talking about Vince McMahon and obsession. Now, the last time he was obsessed with something, and that was destroying DX. And with him having his head shoved up Big Show's backside. And then he brings up the XFL. He's obsessed with destroying the NFL. And I honestly pop for that. Is man. That was a bad idea. The second time around, that was actually planned out and it looked like it had a had legs, but COVID had to go and ruin everything. Damn it. Eventually, Vince books Cena versus Coachman later tonight. Did we get our next match, which is the masterpiece, Chris Masters, who recently wrestled for Pro Wrestling Two Two Five, taken on of all people, Super Crazy, who is super and he is crazy, and he tells you this twice in the show. And it cuts to last week: Ron Simmons took the Master Lock Challenge, and Crazy ran interference. And then he had a little intercut vignette saying he is super, he is crazy. That's why he ran interference, which was cringeworthy. But I'm like, okay, that's his gimmick. I completely forgot that was his whole thing. But a pop for the Mexico. Th- Mexico's theme still being used because I loved seeing the Mexico's back in the day on SmackDown because they put on some really good matches, especially Hoovy. If Hoovy wasn't such an arrogant ass, he probably could have wound up lasting a lot longer in the WWE. But Super Crazy got some offense in early, countered the Master Lock, but Masters wanted to take control of this for a good bit of the matchup. Lawlor at one point, maybe Pop, saying he asked if Super Crazy was all jacked up on Mountain Dew, which honestly, again, made me laugh. Then we get to Chris Masters locking in his Venisher, the Master Lock again. But Super Crazy kind of counters with Shades of uh, uh, the, I think it was the Bret Hart Mr. Perfect match where he kind of just like hop, where he just climbs up the turnbuckles and flips. That was really cool. And the fact that he got the three was really good. And it was great to see an upset victory. And it made me realize this is the point whenever Chris Masters started getting jobbed, right? And that was a mind blow. Number three. Then we get to Kenny Dykstra, backstage interview with Maria Canellis, and says he will be the youngest superstar to main event WrestleMania. Boy, that take age like milk. Then we get to John Cena, has to take part in a mini Royal Rumble match against Coachman before he has his match against Coachman, and Kali eventually wins the match. It shows a lot of the bigger guys like Viscera, a lot of the just bigger guys, and basically the second Kali got in the ring, he just threw everybody out, and that was it. That like literally that was the entire match, just to get him over, and they and Cena, and Holly eventually do fight later on in the year for the title, which honestly you can kind of pass on. Cena versus Coachman barely gets started. Umaga comes out, and demolishes Cena, so Cena gets the DQ win, but Cena's absolutely nowhere near ready for this match. At least what it looks like in the storyline, Cena ends it with a splash through uh, Umaga, splashing him through a table. They wind up doing a stretcher job at the end of the, at the start of the next segment. They go to break, and they're putting them on the stretcher. And they're, like, doing their somber voice. And then they go into a women's match. I was like, what the hell? It just felt like a weird set of tone. And it's Candice Michelle and Mickey James in a tag team match taking on Melina and Victoria. Which, man, that sounded like a lot of fun. Especially because Candice... By this point it started to get better in the ring. And I believe she had already like turned babyface because she had done Playboy like, I think the year before. If not mistaken, either she did it or was about to do it. Because I'm trying to remember. Again, it's weird how my brain works. I feel like she was the two thousand she was in two thousand six. Either two thousand six or two thousand seven. She she did Playboy. Because alright. I'm trying to remember this real quick. So it's Sable, China, Tori, Sable, and Tori, Christy Hemme, Ashley Massaro, Candace. So it had him in be 2007 because the last one was Maria Kanellis. Don't ask how my brain knows that. It's just how it is. But it's a really good match. <laughs> I couldn't help but the laugh because the episode of Raw was brought to you by Skittles, Burger King, and Gridiron Gang. And they have the king do Skittles read, and he just does it like, Skittles, Fruity, Delicious, Taste the Rainbow. No. JR needs to do every single read of the Skittles read, and I'm like absolutely just furious that I did not get that in this show because I would have absolutely popped here. Fruity, Delicious, Fruity, Fruity, Boom, Boom. I would love to have heard that. But no, we just got J- Jerry Lawler. Skittles, Fruity, Delicious, Fruity. And that was it. I said, like, come on. And then we wound up having a halfway decent match. Shame no one really cared because, again, 2007, women's matches were very much, you know, pass. And this was actually a really good shame no one cared. And this all started because Candice Michelle was injured by Victoria about two weeks ago, two months ago, I should say, injuring her nose, and Candice eventually got the retribution. Pinning Victoria in the match, really good stuff. Then we get another quick match, Carlito losing to Kenny Dykstra. Surprise there, but Dykstra gets a handful of the tights to get the win. Tori Wilson was at ringside, there's your mind blow number four. Forgot about the fact that was an ankle. Then hurt with, with Chloe the doggo. Absolutely wild. Then we get to my favorite segment of the night. Crime Time is backstage selling Royal Rumble numbers to Super Crazy and Eugene. And I completely forgot how great this gimmick was. They're basically selling fake Royal Rumble numbers and giving you know Eugene number 30. But they say, Eugene, you don't want to be number 30. You want to be number one. And they convince him to buy... The number one, and he's like, "I'm number one. I'm number." One. I, I I could not stop laughing at that. And then like they walked away, said they sold a fake painting to Ron Simmons. The damn like everything about that segment, I was like, it's 2006, 2007 WWE, but it was so damn good back in the gap. And this was a moment where I was like, okay, I forgot how much I love wrestling sometimes. Then we get to the main event: Street Fight Edge versus Shawn Michaels. It was a knockdown dragout fight from Jump Street. Michaels got busted open really early in the match. Then again, he was already still busted from last week's contest. But really good stuff here between these two. Edge at one point, probably the coolest part of the match was him like vertical suplexing a ladder onto the prone Michaels. I would say suplex, but it's more just on the second rope, so it is what it is if you want to get technical. And it was just a really good fight between these two. Michaels looks to hit the concerto for the finish, but Orton bruises and all from last week. Comes out, hits the RKO on Michaels, and Edge wins it in a really fun main event. And it made me realize how great a Monday Night Raw can be if it's two hours. It's a brisk pace versus an absolute slog like the three hours is nowadays. Like none of Monday Night Raw in 2007 or 2021 really sticks with me as saying, oh, hey, I'm going to remember this forever. But this was so much fun to watch. Just as like a, I mean, it's the comfort food type of show, and it works so damn well in 2007 and they s- told you different storylines it was really good and just a fun watch and i think you should just go out and watch this and realize how much better it is now versus back in the hub the 2020s whenever you have a three-hour show and it feels like it just takes forever now let's get to aew dynamite what a hell of a show it's really fun i feel like there was like not as much high stakes as some of the previous shows like obviously with it's no New Year Smash no Brody Lee show tribute show but my god this is a fun one it all starts off with probably my favorite part of the show with the Brody Lee Brody Jr celebration for his birthday as Brody Brody's minus 1 and showing how they're going to try and get um Adam Page to be a new recruit for the Dark Order And then Luther and Serpentico come out, and I loved this. It was so much fun because he was, like, complaining about the place becoming more like a daycare center. And then a wrestling company called Minus One Punky Brewster, and he complained that he said he looked stupid, and then the chance started having you look stupid, which reminded me of when Sheamus came back. But honestly, it was funny because of the way they ran the angle with Basically, minus one shooting hard on Luther and AEW Dark, which was absolutely hysterical. And I think everybody should go out of the way to go watch AEW Dark. And check out the thing I put out on Twitter, at Cajun Strong Style, at C-A-J-N Strong Style. And go look up the clip that I put out. It's of, basically, Taz and Excalibur and Taz asked Excalibur if he's ever played the skin flute. And they took it out of the, the broadcast. They, they wound up removing it. From there on demand, but it was aired through the premiere and it was absolutely hysterical. But we get an eight man tag team match between TH2, Luther, and Serpentico, taking on Hangman Page, Dark Order, which is Cole Cabana, John Silver, Alex Reynolds in this one. Absolutely a phenomenal match between these two. Dark Order, of course, gets over. And I love the way they had the match with, at one point, Luther. Gets smashed into the birthday cake, minus one hits him with the kendo stick, and then Colt slams Luther face first into the cake, and then Reynolds pins Serpentico after a buckshot lariat. The way they do that finish every time looks badass as hell. And then they ask him to be a part of the whole thing, and like, but before that, this is this is hilarious to me. Dark Order held Serpentico, and then the game of cane shot in the head through the papers at the Dark Order. I, I, everything about it, I just couldn't stop laughing at. It. And then Paige gets invited to it to join the Dark Order, and then Paige says no. And then they think they're gonna get the yes, and they play the he said yes thing. I could not stop laughing at this because it was perfect. Dark Order. Yes, there's it were taken seriously a few months ago, but honestly, they are a comedy act, but it works so damn well. I popped for it. Everything about it was amazing. So I was looking forward to seeing what's going to happen next. And he walks up the ramp, grabbed a bottle of Stu Grayson's uh, from Stu Grayson's hand, and then left through the heel tunnel. Dark Order was crestfallen, especially Cabana, but, you know, it is what it is. I think Hangman Page has much more kind of interest in being the AEW World Champion. I think he will by the end of 2021, so this is another step in the direction to see him reach his potential. Then we get to see Sting and Darby... Basically, start talking, and they later on in the night, and they start talking, and then eventually Taz comes out and says, "Fair fight, in my ass." They fight dirty and street style, while they've been gentlemen and said they grew up in the streets and has been a street fighters. Said so the balls in their court. Then Darby says, "You know, you want a street fight? You got it. We'll do this at Revolution, and that's official. That's gonna be one hell of a match. I can't wait to see that." And they also had a really weird, you know, production—at least a glitch because. Thunder Rosa was talking, and then Xavier was talking over it, and it was just nuts. And they announced that these two, Thunder Rosa and Brent Baker, are going to be facing off in two weeks at beach break. Looking forward to seeing that. But we get to see the Young Bucks showing up at a Kenny Omega's house. This is one of my favorite parts as well. They were just hanging out. Marvez told him here the Elite were having a meeting, and the Bucks walked into Kenny's house, which I think was the Young Bucks' house. At least it looked like somewhat familiar from some of the stuff they've shown in BTE. And they showed an oil painting of Kenny Omega and Don Callis just looking absolutely jacked and shirtless in blue jeans. <laughs> it's still one of my favorite moments. It's like that. And then basically Callis is giving him a paycheck. But they're like, hey, this paycheck came from Impact Wrestling. We know this ain't good, which may pop even more so. Like All the insider references they were making were absolutely amazing. Just so much damn fun. Throughout the show, you had a couple squashes. You had Cody get the win over Peter Avalon, which was as expected. Probably went a little bit too long, but it is what it is. I'm not gonna complain about it. Besides Jay Cargill existing still, like this gimmick can't keep going on that long, right? But it was INTEC climactic Went way way too long, and the announcing was kind of all over the place. Not a good segment. They went to FTR, and Tully Blanchard sitting in booth and bragged about how FTR is number one. then Jurassic Express walked in, said being in the ring, taught them something about himself, which is that he can be either of them. And Dax stepped up and said he'll fight him next week. So we'll see about that. The best part about this is we're going to hear Tarzan Boy on AEW Dynamite. Hell yeah. A really quick match with Jon Moxley beating Nick Camarado. Not much really to say. But Camerado looks like an absolute just monster. And I thought maybe, you know, he just feels like he's a big jobber. But I want to see more from him on Dynamite and Dark getting wins and building himself up. Because he could be an absolute beast. He has a presence among himself. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens down the road. But it's all about Moxley wanting to have that rematch with Kenny and saying, like, he's tired of this. And then they show Kenny Omega basically beating up the Lucha Bros and stuff. And it was... Really interesting to see how that thing went. This is like earlier in the day. Like there's a lot of other stuff that goes on. But I want to just jump to one thing in particular. The main event of the night. They had some cool stuff with Private Party, but it's all about the main event. I cannot stand the damn Chris Jericho MJF theme. The mashup is the worst thing ever. Just play Judas. It was a bad mashup that made you know the... Rated RKO mashup theme made the original Jarrah Show theme uh, like laugh because it was god awful. It sucked. One thing that didn't suck though was Sammy Hager, Hagar endorsing Sammy Hager. Sammy and Hager. Really good stuff right there. And it was a fun match. It was really quick. You know, you have to see some stuff that's coming up for next week. Pac, Phoenix, and Monster taking Omega, Gallows, and Anderson. Can't wait for that. And then MGF got the win, so MGF Jericho are going to be the tag team representatives for the Inner Circle after MGF rolled up Guevara, had a little bit of a tights, and then the show went off the air abruptly as Ross asked what the hell happened. Like, literally, it was just like fade to black for like 10, 20 seconds, make you think when you're watching on DVR, you don't know what the hell's going on, and it was absolutely crazy. But a really good Dynamite show that I felt like, you know, after the last few weeks of really, really good ones, it was a step down, but it was still pretty damn good. All right, so that'll about do it for this week's Cajun Strong Style Podcast. We're going to do a bonus one for the Royal Rumble, but that'll be more later on in the week, let's say Friday or Saturday. So until then, make sure you leave us a rating, be it a five-star rating, a six-star rating, whatever you want to rate us on your favorite podcast gimmicks. appreciate you listening in. And until next time, have a good one. Enjoy the wrestling.